Well, this is the final in our message series called Love, Give, Grow. And I want to say a special hello to those of you who are watching at the Allison campus and on the internet as well. Um, we have over the past three weekends, uh, we've been doing a message series that has been centered around a foundational truth. And this is something that we've been going over every week, and that is that you cannot love without giving, and without giving, you cannot grow. Now, I'd like you all to say this with me, and you too at the Allison campus. You cannot love without giving, and without giving, you cannot grow. Oh, you get an A plus for that. Yes, we have been talking about generosity, and the whole idea is we've been wanting to connect how God is generous, that by his very nature, he is a giving God. And so as followers of Christ, we too are called to live lives of generosity. So today, we want to unpack our motivation behind our giving. And the big idea that we really want to impress upon our hearts today is this. We give in light of what Christ has done for us. Can you say that with me? We give in light of what Christ has done for us. So what is our motivation um, when we give to the church? You know, my uh, way of thinking affects the way um, and the type of giver that I will become. The way that you think will affect the type of giver that you will become. And the goal of Love, Give, Grow message series is to move us all from being a church giver to becoming a gospel giver. Now, what do I mean by a church giver, you say? I could hear you asking that question. Well, studies have shown that there are many motivations um, people have for giving to the church. Someone who gives to the church primarily for one or more of the following motivations that I'm about to highlight we're going to call a church giver. So let's take a, a look at the profile of a church giver. Are you ready to do that? Here we go. Some church givers give to the church because they believe that God will bless them with more money and more material goods and that God will bless them with prosperity. Now there was a Time magazine study that I read that said 31% of Christians in America actually they believe this. We know that certain popular televangelists teach this and they claim that the main goal for life and for this life is to be happy and to prosper materially and financially. That you can have your best life now. But you know, I believe that the Bible teaches that the best life is yet to come. And as one pastor says, I can show you millions of faithful followers of Jesus Christ who live in poverty. Why isn't everyone in the church a millionaire? That's a really good question. But another reason that studies cite that people give is because they've been socialized to give. You know, a church giver gives to the church primarily because that is what they've been taught to do. It's usually been modeled by their parents or members of their family. And they're modeling this behavior, so they are socialized to give. But a powerful motivation for a church giver might even be guilt. They give in order to avoid that emotional consequence of not giving. The guilt giver, the thought that for them, the thought that if they don't give, then they're doing something wrong or they're doing something irresponsible. And therefore, they want to avoid feeling bad, so they give. And so a church giver might give 
out of guilt. But a church giver may also give out of a sense of duty. Well, they say, that's what God calls us to do. That's what the Bible teaches. The church is instructing us to do this, so therefore we will do it. It is our duty. Regardless if they've been taught to give or whether there is a need, their main reason for giving comes from a sense of obligation. So that could be another motivation for a church giver. But you know, some people give because they know about specific needs. They've been made aware of a problem or there's a cause and they want to contribute their money towards it and they want to help meet that specific need. And you know, they may not give regularly, but boy, when they hear about this special need, they're radiant and they're ready to give. Remember what we said at the beginning of the message that our thinking affects the type of giver that we become. Well, I'd like to highlight the three ways of thinking about our giving that may be the source of these motivations that cause us to become church givers rather than becoming gospel givers. So let's just take a look at that. One way of thinking we can call giving illiteracy. Now that's an interesting term, but it's just uh, the sense of confusion among many Christians that they may experience about what's the standard of giving anyway? And, and, and how to apply that standard. You often hear people say, okay, so tithing, that's 10%. Is it gross? Is it net? How do, you know, I don't understand how to apply that standard. And this may be the cause of someone only giving when there's a specific need identified. And it may also be a general lack of awareness about how much they should give and how much they've actually given. Or maybe it's confusion around what the difference is between tithes and alms and offerings. Well, if I give to the community care offering, that's alms, well, then does that mean I have to give to the general fund too? Which is where our tithes go? Isn't it all the same? And so giving a literacy may be a way of thinking um, that causes us um, to go to these other motivations. Now, another way of thinking that affects our motivations for giving maybe due to a sense of financial insecurity. And you know, even though we live in one of the wealthiest countries in the world, um, you know, Christians still feel insecure in their finances and they hesitate to give because they don't want to risk losing their security or even their financial status and their status in society. So in fact, this thinking may even cultivate a little bit of that prosperity uh, motivation. When God blesses me with more, then I'll give more. Or the thinking might go this way. Well, you know, we give so much, and in fact, we would like to be a little more generous, but we're doing what we can, and we're comfortable living in that tension. So you can feel the guilt giving kind of creeping in there. But finally, maybe our giving habits have just become ingrained in our thinking. It's not so much about how much I give, it's all about the habit, the fact that I do give. This thinking may be the source of someone who has been socialized to give or who gives out of duty or obligation. And so our thinking um, has a big uh, part to play in how we give. So we've highlighted some of these motivations that can cause us to become church givers. But let's pause right here, because I know some of you are already kind of saying in your head, but wait a minute, most of these motivations, I mean, they're good and noble motivations. I mean, isn't it a good thing that I model giving for my kids and my family? 
Isn't that a good thing that I socialize my children to give to the church? And I mean, isn't it a good thing? It's right and good to do what God is calling us to do. We're being obedient. Um, and it's what the Bible teaches. It's just the right thing to do. I mean, many of us just do a lot of things because it's the right thing to do. And, you know, it's even good to give when there's a need that's been identified. And we see this every year with our Christmas offering that we've given to, uh, to projects in Rwanda. And, and even right now, ongoing, we have youth who are getting ready to go to Title Impact. And that's a special project, and that's a need, and people are giving to it. So you're saying, well, what's wrong with all that? Those motivations, I mean, they're good and noble motivations. But what if we had an even better reason for giving? Wouldn't that be amazing? Say yes. A better reason for giving. Just imagine it. Okay. That our giving to the work of the building of God's kingdom through the local church was not dependent on whether or not God blesses us with financial wealth. It's not dependent on how we were taught or specific needs presented or out of guilt or duty. What if we even had an even better reason to give? And the only way that we're going to shift from being a church giver to being a gospel giver is when we embrace the good news. Being a gospel giver means, back to our big idea, that we give in light of what Christ has done for us. What has Christ done for us? What has he done for us? Let's take a look at 2 Corinthians 8-9. We're just going to look at these verses here for a moment. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that by his poverty he could make you rich. Now, will you read that with me now? Let's read this. And you two at the Allison campus. You know the generous grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. Though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor so that by his poverty, he could make you rich. We become a gospel giver when we realize what Christ has done for us. Paul is expressing one of the divine attributes of God as expressed through Christ, and that is grace, love in action, expressed on the sinner's behalf, reaching out to help the undeserving. That's all of us. That's all of us. Jesus gave up all the riches of heaven. He gave up his e divine, eternal existence in heaven, his rightful place in glory, and he became poor for us by coming to this earth and sharing in our human condition. Now, isn't that pretty amazing? Say yes. Yes. That is an amazing thing. He saw the poverty of our souls hopelessly separated from God. He came and he experienced death in our place so that through faith in him we could share in the riches of heaven, experience the generosity of his grace, the forgiveness of sins, and to be reconciled with God. Wow. Wow. That changes the way that you and I think about our giving. It means we give out of love and gratitude for what God has done for us through Christ Jesus. That big idea again? We give what? In light of what Christ has done for us. You know, we don't want church givers. 
church givers give because they have to. And if we as church leadership here at the Journey Church have cultivated that attitude, then we have failed you. We want gospel givers. Gospel givers give because they want to give. The good news of what Jesus has done for us becomes the anchor point of our thinking. There are three key words that can move our thinking towards gospel giving. And those three words are faith, hope, and love. Can you say that with me? Faith, hope, and love. Because as we think about what God has done for us through Jesus, we need to respond in faith. It is by grace that we have been saved through faith. But sometimes we put our faith in money. Let's be honest. You know, remember last week when Pastor Dave looked at the passage, you know, about the man who had built barns and barns to store all of his grain. And once he got all the grain in, he sat back and he said, ha ha, look at me. Now I can just eat, drink, and be merry. He was putting his faith and trust in money, in his earthly riches. Gospel giving moves us from trusting our earthly wealth for security to putting our faith and trust in what Christ has done. You know, I think a good litmus test for all of us of what we're putting our faith in is what happens when we're going through a financial crisis. What, how do we respond? How do we respond to that sense? But gospel giving means that I put my hope in Christ and what he's done for me. My hope is in the Lord. It is not in this world. My life isn't measured about how, uh, by how much I own. My acceptance is rooted in my eternal status. And if you have put your faith and trust in Christ, you are a child of God. That is our eternal status. With the promise of an inheritance that's beyond anything we could ever ask or imagine for something in, in this life. We're not going to get that. And being a gospel giver means I realize how much God loves me and that my, my giving becomes an expression of my love for God. And I just want to read from 1 Corinthians 13, the first three verses, because our motivation behind why we give, why we do anything, it really does matter. And the Apostle Paul is talking about that that the good things that we do, you know, why do we do them? So let's take a look at this. 1 Corinthians 13. If I could speak all the languages of earth and of angels but didn't love others, I would only be a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. If I had the gift of prophecy and if I understood all of God's secret plans, possessed all knowledge, and if I had such faith that I could move mountains but didn't have love, I'd be nothing. Now here's the piece that I want you to really hear. If I gave everything I have to the poor and even sacrificed my body, I could boast about it. But if I didn't love others, I would have gained nothing. I would have gained nothing. Just take a look at this graphic we have up on the screen right now. And you know, the offering plate is just meant to be symbolic of, you know, giving to the church. We know we have other ways that people give, a direct, you know, deposit and through debit. But the, the offering plate is sort of that traditional symbol that we're familiar with. And when we look at this picture, you can see that money can be given from both sides. You can give it from the church giver side, and we talked about that motivation. 
or it can be given from the gospel giver's side and that motivation out of love and gratitude. And you know, it's really interesting that a person can be generous and not be a gospel giver. Think about that. Like Paul says in this passage, you can give everything to the poor, you can sacrifice your body, you can even boast about it. But without love, you gain nothing. Now, please understand me here. Let's pause for a moment. Please understand me. None of our motivations are ever pure, as long as we're living on this earth. It's, it's never pure. There's nothing that we do that isn't tainted by our sin nature in one way or another. We're human beings, and we all struggle. And you know what? God will use our gifts no matter what our motivation is. But what would be so cool is as we move towards this gospel-giving idea that we need to get to that place where the dominant reason for us giving is out of true love and gratitude for what Christ has done for us. God has been so generous to us. He's been so rich in mercy. He loves us so much that he sent his son, Jesus. And when we put our faith and trust in him, we're called to a life of love and generosity. Ephesians 5 says, Imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. Whose example are we to follow? Christ, his example. And you know, one metric for our journey of generosity is the tithe, which is part of the Old Testament law. But you know, our goal was at the end of this Love, Give, Grow message series that we'd have a tithing weekend, and this is our tithing weekend this weekend, where we were asking people to tithe just one week's pay and see what God might do through the generosity of his people. What an exciting challenge. And for some of us, the tithe is a great place to begin. Or maybe it's, for some, a place to start moving towards in your giving. And for others I know who have been tithing regularly all along, maybe it's time to ask, what's my next step of faith? What is God calling me to do? The tithe is not the end point. Remember, that was instituted under the law of the Old Testament. But now we are under the generous grace of Jesus Christ, and there is no end point to that. God's generous grace is free. And you know, it was very costly. And I'm going to read a quote from uh, Tim Keller's Prodigal God. It was costly, and I think sometimes we don't understand that cost on how seriously God takes sin and on how we could only, he could only save us from it at an infinite cost to himself. Understanding this must and will profoundly reshape our lives. We'll not be able to live in a selfish, cowardly way. We'll stand up for justice and we'll sacrifice for our neighbor. And we won't mind the cost of following after Christ when we compare it to the price he paid to rescue us. God loved his son even greater than we have a love for our money and our possession and our comfort. It cost him everything. And 1 Corinthians 6.20 says, You do not belong to yourself, for God bought you with a high price. And here, the Apostle Paul again, he's affirming that not only is God the owner of everything, he owns us. He 
owns our very lives. Our lives belong to him. And if my life is God's bought by Christ's blood, then I can only respond with a sense of absolute awe, with love, with gratitude, which moves me to a way of life that expresses that. And it means I'm willing to make real sacrifices to serve him and to give to those things that promote what he wants to have promoted about his love and his forgiveness and his offer of salvation. My prayer is that you and I will become gospel givers because the the heart of giving is found in the gospel. And if you lose that heart and it becomes a bill, rather, to be paid than a loving sacrifice, that's what happens. And I found this quote in one of the studies that I had read on the motivation um, behind people who give to churches. This is how important this is. Listen to this quote. Those who connect their giving either to a sacred end or a sense of social responsibility give generously. But those who give for church maintenance may give no less willingly, but they will often view their giving as a bill which must be paid. What kind of person are you and I becoming? A gospel giver glorifies God, reflects the kingdom, and displays, displays the very character of Christ. Becoming a gospel giver means we give in light of what Christ has done for us. At this time, I'm going to release the rest of the service over to David Cogswell and the, as campus pastor at the Allison campus.